Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborne. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are thrilled to have you with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cam Clutters, our faithful barista, and today is the feast day of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. And our good friend, Emily Jaminette, the executive director of the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network, is here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Start us with a prayer. Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we bring our hearts to you today, full of gratitude, full of love. We offer ourselves to you. May our lives be a pleasing aroma in in your heavenly court. We ask you to give our give us just hearts ever more aflamed with love of you. And help us to know your heart, your sacred heart. We offer our days to you and everyone we will come in contact with, as well as all of our intentions. In Jesus' name and through the intercession of Mary. Amen. Amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Big weekend, eh? Yeah. Saturday was the Columbus Catholic Young Adult Conference up at St. John Newman in Sunbury. That's right. It was lovely. There was a great turnout. I think everyone was very edified. Um, And it's always just good to be around peers, right? All striving for holiness. Mm. So, yeah, it was beautiful. Very nice. Dr. Ralph Martin. That's right. Was the morning keynote. Morning keynote. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and of course he wrote fulfillment of all desire. And so just very knowledgeable. And also you can tell just a very humble, beautiful heart. So yeah, very nice, very nice. And then they had some breakout sessions and on a variety of different topics. You said you attended one with uh, sister of life. Yeah. Sister Mary Grace, um, a sister of life. And she spoke on spiritual, spiritual warfare. So, which was very interesting. Um, she had some points that I didn't expect. So that was very helpful. <laughs> um, and they also opened up in song. And so the, the room was filled with joy and yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> Fantastic. And then it all wrapped up with a barbecue. That's right. Yeah. So it was a little, it was a little rainy that day, but it was really cozy inside. And there was just a beautiful team of people who put this together and, um, woman who stayed in the kitchen to help prepare the meal and everything. And so we were just also grateful and the food was amazing and we just had a lot of fun. Nice, nice. Friday night, we celebrated Ellie's 21st birthday. Yeah. Can you believe it? How was that? It was great. <laughs> and full disclosure, I actually had two slices of a pumpkin. Yeah, I know two slices of a pumpkin spice pizza. <laughs> this is odd considering um how much you've shared with us your 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 hatred of pumpkin spice yeah and now i'm just surrounded by it, it it's uh so yeah. how'd that go it was really good oh really really good so we're not that against pumpkin spice it was very understated <laughs> okay. number one uh the sausage completely overpowered okay that just sounds like an odd combination pumpkin spice sausage it does but they pulled it off okay (laughs) 
But our home now is just filled with pumpkin spice bagels. <laughs> uh, we had pumpkin spice and chocolate chip bread. Pumpkin spice hot chocolate mix. <laughs> so the girls are really into it, huh? <laughs> Apparently, I'm the only one that's not. Because I, I, yeah, I suspect that we'll all be finished. Yeah, it sounds like you'll be converted at some point. (laughs) But it was just a a nice uh, weekend to kind of lay around. It was kind of one of those gray and drizzly weekends. So catch up on rest. Yeah. So Today, as I mentioned at the intro, we're celebrating St. Margaret Mary Alacoque's feast day. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Such a joy to be here to talk about pumpkin spice, St. <laughs> Margaret Mary, and how to change this this heart of ours. So pretty, pretty awesome. Are you a pumpkin spice fan? You know, when you're talking about it, it reminded me that I did have a Friendship Friday moment on Friday and got a pumpkin spice latte with a friend. Mm-hmm. So that was my my pumpkin spice moment. And then this weekend. We had pumpkin spice cookies, and um, I love to put a little cider on with and sprinkle the pumpkin spice on top of the cider. So as John and I cleaned out the basement. So it's a combination of something really great and something kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you just said Friendship Friday. Is this a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. I didn't know this. It's for our spiritual friends. How, how do we make time for people? We, but we got to be really diligent. So... Uh, Michelle Family and I wrote the Friendship Project book, and one of the things we realized is that if you're cultivating spiritual friendship, you need to take time mm-hmm. to put them on your calendar. So uh, Friendship Friday is, is such a gift. So this is with a saint, or you call a friend? Well, and you... you you definitely can have a moment with a saint, uh, but I, I don't know any walking saints. I, I think they're all up in heaven, <laughs> so I recommend spiritual friends okay, connecting okay. and just Every making Friday. time, right? I love that. You're yeah. new in the city. How are you going to make friendship unless we you know, make exactly. invest in it. So super awesome. And share a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> yeah, and share. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really beautiful. St. Mary um, Alacoque. It's a good day. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she's one of your spiritual friends, Emily. She is. You know, when you asked me to be on, I was really just touched. I'm already a little emotional thinking about it because um, the closer we grow to the saints, and as we talked about pumpkin spice lattes, I, I think about she's a saint that slowly has revealed um, her relationship with me over the years, and yet I can't get enough of this saint because she has such a depth of writing and letters and influence in the church from um, really inviting us to encounter the Lord. And over at Sunday, it made me think about my my youngest daughter um, during the mass she's she's in second grade and she's preparing for first reconciliation and she leans over and she's like how do we lift up our hearts this is such a good question yeah i was like yeah i was like that's you know like you're right we can't really but she was sincere in asking that question and then it made me think about this devotion because it really is about us encountering the love of christ so that the love of Christ can go through our hearts and that, you know, we can share that love with others. So it, it kind of combined my Sunday morning with uh, my Monday morning as well. Now, your granddad had quite the devotion to yes. the Sacred Heart down in Cincinnati. 
So the Men of the Sacred Hearts was a national organization that began uh, right around, they were at its high point in the 50s, Mm -hmm. and it continued on where they promoted the devotion to the Sacred Heart. My granddad made these plaques and images of the Sacred Heart um, first in in their joint like workshop, but then really in his basement. He had a studio or a, a little workshop. So I thought everybody's grandparents had like thousands of images of the Sacred Heart and Immaculate Heart <laughs> all boxed up in their basement. And I never really knew where they're going. But it, I later found out as I got older that they were being shipped to Albania and India and um, also to first communicants around the country as well. And we found out um, really the Im- impact he was having through a personal letter from Mother Teresa, thanking him for the work that he did and the other men as well. And it was just so inspiring to me as a, his granddaughter and the rest of the family to see those simple, humble acts and the impact that they can have. And it wasn't just the doing of their faith that was impactful, but uh, my grandparents committed when they retired to saying three rosaries a day. And then um, I, I found out even later in life that if my grandmother you know, didn't feel up or, or healthy or, or able to finish, he would finish those missing rosaries that she didn't say. So, I mean, he was just extraordinary. He was a wonderful Catholic man, but he really did help plant some deep seeds in love for the Sacred Heart. And then we had Sacred Heart Columbus. We had the Sacred Heart radio program, which mm-hmm. I'm honored that my parents are a part of. And I, I remember writing my first article on the work here in Columbus for the Catholic Digest. And I just thought, what a cool story about devotion impacting local community and and then from that oh dave i just couldn't get enough of it i wanted to write more and do more and now i believe that the image of the sacred heart um really desires to be in each one of our homes it's you know i'd love to get the image in every single catholic home and not just to hang on the wall but to that we begin to cultivate a deep devotion to the heart of jesus living out what we know as first friday and um, really understand God's love is just uh, transformative. When, when did your devotion go deep? Was it still young adult, you know, growing up, or did that come out of the Congress itself? Because this year we're celebrating the twelfth, the twelfth Sacred Heart Congress. Yeah, you know, I, I would probably say fifteen years ago. You know, my parents were such, and they continue to be such champions, uh, Chuck and Joan Wilson of promoting that, you know, having the enthronement in the Sacred Heart. And I remember our enthronement was very impactful for me as a child, but it was really motherhood. You know, this responsibility of parenting, you know, at the time, six children and balancing life and, you know, everything felt good and fine and great. And yet when we did the enthronement as a family, almost to kind of like, okay, we'll do that. You know, it was the day after Thanksgiving and, and all right, we'll do the enthronement of the Sacred Heart. We'll put the images up. We'll dedicate our hearts. But it was like a floodgate of grace poured into my family. I could start to see um, areas that John and I could continue to go deeper in our love, sharing that love with our family. And I would say it also was cultivated in the quiet of the night, developing a deeper prayer life where, you know, saying, Jesus, okay, you can have the marriage, the family, and my future. And who would have ever thought this would be my future when I said that prayer? But um, it's his his heart is an abyss of love, and we're invited to discover it. Hmm. Now, obviously, the Sacred Heart of Jesus has always been with us, 
But the devotion itself began with visions that St. Margaret Mary Alacoque had. Now, just in terms of background, uh, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was a French visitation nun, lived, uh, born in 1647, uh, passed in 1690, set up her life, Emily, for us. Uh, was she active? Was she cloistered? What? Well, what I think is really unique about um, Sister, or, or, you know, St. Margaret Mary or Sister Margaret Mary at the time is that, you know, she had some of the same troubles and, and difficulties growing up as a child. She, um, but yet they said she was a very pious young girl. She had an illness um, after her father died around the age of nine where she was paralyzed for three years. And in the state of being paralyzed, she said, um, you know, to the Blessed Mother, if you heal me, I, I will join the convent. And she was healed um, in this, this uh, so that was a huge blessing. But just a little bit like St. Faustina, she kind of forgot about that and started kind of living more of an ordinary Catholic life, dating and um, walking home from a dance. She saw uh, our Lord in a vision being scourged. And that reminded her of her commitment. Well, that's a real parallel then to uh, St. Yeah, Faustina. Yeah, St. Faustina. Isn't that walking interesting? Walking home yeah. from a dance. Yeah. <laughs> so walking home from the dance, people. But um, but then she entered the convent. So in her 20s, she didn't have a real formal education. Uh, after her dad died, there was a lot of turmoil in her family on you know who owned the property. But uh, what was so beautiful, she joined the visitation order and she was open to the Lord, you know, just pouring this abundant of grace out and um, developing really it being a witness to us on what it means to love Christ through the Eucharist. And then Jesus appearing to her in 1673. Uh, the first apparition was actually two days after Christmas. So the feast of St. John the Apostle, which is very important in the devotion because the beloved um, apostle rested his head on Christ's chest at the Last Supper. He was there for the crucifixion. And he really, in his gospel, brings to life the importance of how much Jesus loves us. And from that um, anniversary or that, that apparition, uh, it continued multiple apparitions that have changed the face of how we understand God's love. And and I think it's just an essential um, signpost for all of us to say, you know, let's, let's encounter that love and share that love because, uh, it, it changed culture. It changed France. It changed the world. You can see the devotion all throughout the world, um, since that, uh, experience in 1673. And, um, it's, it's amazing. What was Catholic life like in France in the mid 17th century? Well, I, I love to parallel it with now because they were going through the heresy of Jansenism and this really sense of unworthiness. So as we look at our culture, uh, we have other issues, but um, they the majority of Catholics did not receive communion. So there was a distance between Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament and the average person because they felt so unworthy. And and, and that was fueled by the Jansenists that, yeah. that they shouldn't come Receive. They receive. couldn't receive, yep. Okay. So they even have a document um, where uh, a bishop in France at the time said that, like, no one received communion in his diocese for a whole year. You know, like, in a sense of pridefully, like, this is so great. Mm. So it really shows us um, how 
the Lord needed to to soften hearts and understand the significance of His heart and also the Eucharistic heart of of our Lord. And so, so it was prideful on, on on the part of the the bishop that he he was holding that up as it was good that they weren't coming forth for yeah it was a good thing yeah it was because it, they weren't worthy they weren't worthy and well, no one was worthy at that time you know no one viewed themselves worthy uh, but you know people still went to mass and and I think about in parallel to where we are we have many other obstacles because people are so casual about the faith or or drifting away from the faith that they're not um, you know. They're not really considering the, the structure of, of the faith and the, the significance of the sacraments, I'm thinking. But it's, um, it's amazing what, what the Lord has done through this little sister who, who said yes. Tell, tell us about, uh, we're speaking with Emily Jaminette here in the St. Gabriel Cafe. So her first, there were more than, more than one vision. Yes. So the first one was after Christmas in 1670. Three. It's 1673. What happened then? Well, what I love about that first apparition is that Jesus called her the disciple of the sacred heart. He literally gave her that title. And in the apparitions, he also talked about how much he loves her and mankind. Um, this is a paraphrase, uh, but it was like, behold this heart which loves so much, but it in return, it receives indifference and gratitude and coldness. So he he kind of teed up this powerful devotion that's saying, "My heart is all love, but what what does what does our hearts look like, and how we're invited to this transformation?" Now, in the apparitions, her his Jesus revealed his heart as you know as beautiful as a crystal, flaming fire. Other times. Um, you know, she could really see the woundedness, but there was some basic uh, symbolism in the heart that was important. And I love to point out to to even our listeners who are trying to to picture this is that the heart is always outside of the body. If it's a sacred heart image, there's a um, there's a wound in the heart. Which remember, you know, we can recall where Jesus' heart was punctured after uh, the Good Friday. There's a tiny uh, cross in the heart which symbolizes that Jesus said, you know, that he came to die, that he, that was his mission, always um, that crucifixion, the flame, which is a flame of love that would love to purify us and transform us. It's a, it's a, a fiery heart uh, full of love. And then around it also has the crown of thorns and the crown of thorns symbolize that our sins hurt his heart. So, mm-hmm. It, it was a deeper encounter to see the significance of, you know, um, not just keeping faith in the abstract, but also very much in the personal. So this apparition was Christ came to her revealing his sacred heart. That was mm-hmm. the, did she keep it a secret or did she share this with the other sisters? Well, it's interesting that you say that she, she definitely received a lot of persecution for um, the apparitions, persecution meaning a lot of people doubted her. The sisters didn't really um, accept the, you know, the claims that that Jesus was appearing to her. Um, and each one of the visions also had a Eucharistic, um, I would say, undertone, such as right after Mass, before the Blessed Sacrament in the Church, these visions took place. And um, but until her spiritual director, she got a new spiritual director um, who later was canonized a saint, St. Claude 
a day. Uh, <laughs> my my coffee brain. I might need a touch more coffee to <laughs> recall his last name, but um, Saint Claude. But but what's what's beautiful is that then he took her message and wrote it out and and was able to deliver it in a way that people could receive and better understand. Wow, there's so, some really uh, striking similarities with Faustina. Yes, yeah, very much so. I was thinking the same thing, just how she was received and yeah, similar. Very similar. But she's, um, you know, one of the things that we have, just like we have the Diary of St. Faustina, is we have letters that she wrote and um, that you can, and that really is what spurred my devotion and, and my desire to to write two books on the Sacred Heart because the letters opened up this, like, um, it opened the devotion in a new way, not just, you know, such as the 12 promises. It's like, well, where did they come from? What does this look like? Mm -hmm. How is this lived out? And so um, I'm, I kind of through reading her letters, I felt like um, I made a new friend. Mm. We'll talk about the letters uh, more there. I guess there's about 140 that were translated in, in, into English, uh, Tan Books as a, uh, a beautiful little uh, collection uh, of the letters. But then there were other, there were subsequent visions or apparitions after the first one. Oh, yes. Um, it went on. What's interesting is this December actually marks 350 years wow. since St. Margaret Mary's apparitions. So um, the Visitation Order, the Jesuits, all dioceses are invited to honor this, this great uh, saint and this devotion. Why the, <laughs> that, that's going to come out wrong. I was going to say, why are the Jesuits? But it, what's the connection with the Jesuits oh, to the question. Sacred Heart? Uh, the Jesuits uh, have a deep devotion to the Sacred Heart and promoting the devotion early on. And, um, of course, the Visitation Order and um, St. Francis de Sales as well. What's also neat about St. Margaret Mary's 365 years before she lived, St. Gertrude the Great also revealed the, the devotion to the Sacred Heart where um, she had this powerful encounter with our Lord and even St. John the Apostle. So there's been these um, sediments of, of the devotion, but what's, what's really neat is when St. Gertrude the Great said that this would be a devotion for end times, when hearts would grow cold. And when I read that, um, I was so convicted that that's what we need is we need the sacred heart of Jesus to awaken hearts, to teach us how to um, be healed and to be strengthened and to not white knuckle our faith, but rather to, to be an instrument of that faith. Wow. <laughs> so was the sacred heart image or was was that revealed to saint gertrude then also well not the actual image um jesus actually a lot of times people say well why why have the image in the home right like why have an image in the studio why do the enthronement of the sacred heart and that's a lot of the work that we do is this idea of enthronement and it goes back to these 12 promises where jesus said where his image is exposed and honored you shall be blessed. And it was even the, the word translated more in like dwelling place. And um, that was very unique at that time in the 1670s. There was no like, I'm going to get a cool image at the coffee shop. I'm going to, you know, nobody put hearts on the wall that, you know, they did, she didn't really know what that meant. So the uh, first image of the Sacred Heart was a very simple heart. Um, she, she knew that this was important, but didn't really know what that was going to look like. 
and then on her actually today on her uh saint margaret well on saint margaret mary's name day so the day that she honored um saint Ma- uh saint margaret she she ended up um doing like a little mini dedication they said that she honored the sacred heart on the day that it was her her name day mm-hmm. and so it started this idea of the, the importance of not only placing images on the wall but using them as holy reminders and then building a covenant of love as well was was that an instruction from from christ himself with with the image yeah that's what's very so unique. another another parallel right yeah. that's mm-hmm. a faustina with and, the divine uh, mercy image and the graces um that would flow okay so yeah very there's there's some amazing parallels and um jesus also said that in his heart um flowed mercy right saint faustina we we see that component of mercy of charity and friendship which really comes alive through this devotion to the sacred heart and then also i thought was beautiful was grace so going to the heart of jesus maybe there's specific grace that you need in your life and then even virtue and so um, making sure that our life more and more resembled the life of Christ in holiness. So it wasn't just devotion that, you know, was about the interior, but it was also about changing um, how we lived our life. Right. And these devotions don't just come out of anywhere. Like we talked about during that time in history, Jansenism was rampant. And so our Lord raises up, you know, saints and these devotions to help us, whatever we're facing during that time. And similar with Faustina, right? What was going in the world during that time and our need for mercy, our need for love, our need for conversion of heart. And the beauty of of him always coming after us, right? In the way in which we need it, in the way in which he's calling us to convert and change our hearts according to his his heart. It's really beautiful, you know, doing ministry work and encountering those who've encountered the love of Christ, right, for the first time. And I think a lot of times we can take these devotions for granted and and get used to the image on the wall or get used to, you know, saying prayers to the Sacred Heart of Jesus or the litany. But like when someone really does understand for the first time that God's heart is full of love and that heart is where humanity and the divine meet and that, you know, how much Jesus loves and, and why he died was out of love so we can be with him forever in heaven. It's, it's awesome. It's like, you know, you, 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 it's a privilege and, and to see that grace is offered to all of us. So it, the devotion highlights so many beautiful aspects of our faith. So uh, go ahead. In, in, so in this devotion, I guess I'm wondering, did you go from a period of going through the motions and the devotion and then at some point it came alive? Because I think so many times, like you said, we can get used to seeing the image somewhere or we can get used to saying some kind of litany of devotions. And yet what truly the Lord wants us to do is have this conversion of heart where it becomes a relationship. Yes. And sometimes it takes time to get there. But how do we get there? Well, isn't it always ongoing? I mean, I think that it, it would be nice if it was just one time and we were done with that. But it's not really the truth. And so I look at my the parallels of motherhood, for example, this um, my vocation of motherhood and in raising a large family, like there are moments I'm like, there is so much that's being asked of me and there is so much love that is required for me to pour out even just alone on my family. It seemed like a, a massive task, but with Christ's heart, 
you know, if you're striving to love through Christ and, and allowing his heart to change your heart, it, it, everything got easier. So I would say there were these aha moments, but usually it was like, Lord, there's so much that's being asked of me. And I think um, we all have those moments where if only we knew to get on our knees in those moments mm -hmm. and say, God, you know, give me grace, use me and, and transform me. He, he will do that. And so that those, those deepenings happened um, within the context, I would say of my vocation. Mm -hmm. Emily Jaminette is in the cafe this morning with us. We're talking about St. Margaret Mary Alacoque and her devotion <clears throat> well, in the sacred heart of Jesus. When, when did the actual devotion start being propagated? So her vision was in 1673. Was that in her lifetime when finally the, uh, the bishops approved and her sisters more embraced? That's a really, what was going on? What's, what's interesting about the timeline is that actually the mass to the sacred heart and the promises were more approved before the apparition. They were began to be um, promoted and, and incorporated in, in kind of how we view the faith okay. because it was liturgically correct to understand, you know, as, as we look to these key scriptures where Jesus talks about his love for us. So it, it kind of gave some, some meat to the scripture and to what we know, such as the, the Holy Eucharist. But um, yes, she was able to experience, um, uh, you know, the, the devotion taking root. It began first in Poland and then in France and then opened up. So some little provenances started, for example, um, the, being able to say the Mass to the Sacred Heart, uh, which is a specific votive Mass to the Sacred Heart. But but it, it, it grew and she did, um, what was also really beautiful is towards the end of her life, like the sisters had come around. That's what I was going to yeah, ask. She, yeah, she didn't have Vindicated. to. Yep. Um, especially uh, around uh, 1681. So right before some of the, the letters that we'll talk about. Yeah, there was definitely um, an acceptance. So there's initially a persecution, a, a trial time where people were doubting. And then by fruit and by, um, you know, obedience to the church, this, uh, again, became a very important uh, devotion uh, oftentimes it's called the devotion because it is to the person of Jesus. Right, right. So St. Margaret Mary Alacoque wrote hundreds of letters. We have about 140 of them translated into English. And these were letters that she wrote to priests, religious, and lay people. We're going to refill our mugs, and when we come back, we'll take a closer look at a few of these letters. Stay with us. A Prayer for Ohio. Ever-living God, you give life and desire a future for all of your children. Take hold of our nation, state, and community, and awaken in every heart awe for the gift of life. Send your Spirit to strengthen us with wisdom and fortitude as we defend mothers and children in Ohio from laws that disregard their health and safety. Mary and Joseph trusted in you and welcomed Jesus into our broken world. Father, we ask their intercession to protect the preborn and their mothers. 
and to guide all parents in raising their children. May they help us build a civilization of love by upholding the sacredness of life, preserving parental rights, and walking with pregnant women in need. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of the Family, pray for us. St. Joseph, Protector of the Unborn, pray for us. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of faith is seen in Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Blessed Virgin Mary lived the virtue of faith heroically by saying yes to God and agreeing to become the mother of Jesus, even when she did not understand what this would mean for her. She practiced faith by standing with her son when he was being crucified, still believing in God's plan to save his people, even though his life was ending. Let us ask Mary to pray for us, that we may grow in faith and know God and all that he has revealed. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. I'm Lori Kroc, and this is a Holy and Healthy Minute. From Matthew 12, 49, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. This scripture can be confusing, but Jesus is referring to the bond of love in the body of Christ. It is both holy and healthy to build authentic and loving relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are on a spiritual journey with us challenge, teach, support, and pray for us. Holy friendships inspire us to be faithful to the sacraments, to nurture an active prayer life, to study scripture, and to share our faith with others. The disciples traveled in pairs and in small groups, and for good reason, we need each other. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we help each other grow in holiness. Amen. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and with us here in the cafe this morning is Emily Jaminette, the Executive Director of the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network. Coming up on Saturday, November 4th at St. Paul the Apostle Church in Westerville is the 12th Annual Sacred Heart Congress. The theme this year, Reviving the Family Through the Sacred Heart and the Eucharist runs from 8 o'clock until noon, again on Saturday, November 4th. And this year is a special youth program also. Yes, I'm excited. We have a a youth program for school-aged children working uh, with some sisters, which is the Daughters of Holy Mary, the Heart of Jesus. And um, that will take place during the talks. So they'll join us for Mass, and then we'll come together for prayer at the end. I'm also excited we're bringing back Coffee and donuts, Dave. Yeah, baby. <laughs> you know what? The, the COVID is over. Let's drink the coffee and have the donuts. So if you were feeling like, oh, that was a long time to sit, don't worry. We have a great stretch planned for you. Excellent. And I'm very excited about um, Monsignor Lane uh, presenting. He's going to be really speaking about the Eucharist and the Sacred Heart mm-hmm. and the strength um, that we can receive by uh, deepening our devotion to the Eucharist, especially during the year of Eucharistic revival. And then I have the tremendous privilege and responsibility to talk about 
how our hearts have to change. You know, those holy habits, what it looks like once we encounter devotion to the Sacred Heart, you know, how we're invited to to change um, key aspects of our life, such as embracing peace and, and being uh, open to grace. Registration is at welcomehisheart.com. And this transformation of our own hearts is really at the heart. Ah, oh, my goodness, that was a <laughs> ill-timed pun. Uh, the essence of St. Margaret Mary's letters that she wrote to the priests, religious, and laity. So a collection in English of about 140 letters. W- what else can you tell us, Emily, uh, to kind of frame our discussion on? On a few of these letters. Well, I mean, we were we, when we came in this morning, we're like, oh, these are kind of heavy, right? They're they're beautifully written. Uh, a couple times, I had to get my dictionary out to remind myself, you know, what what the some of the words meant. But yet, um, they're simple. They're they they go to the heart of it, and they are an invitation for us to desire to change our hearts and and desire to come to know Christ uh, more perfectly. So perfectly. So I. I can't say enough about reading her letters. There's also two small books um, that I love, which is like Letters and, and Sayings by St. Margaret Mary. So if you need just a few words, uh, you know, I used uh, all these resources for Secrets of the Sacred Heart and Holy Habits as well. So I can't um, say enough about really diving deep into her, her work. I think also reading these letters, there can be... A temptation to think, oh, well, this was written to a priest or to another sister, and so does it apply to me? And the answer is yes, right? Maybe not vocationally, right? Um, Not all of us are called to religious life, but in terms of the conversion of heart, I think that's so important to, to realize, no, actually, I am called to this conversion of heart as well in a deep way that maybe I wouldn't initially think of. Mm-hmm. That's really true. And and sometimes when we read, I mean, we're talking about a saint that lived, you know, that the first apparition 1673. So that was a long time ago, but yet there are nuggets and truths that absolutely are relatable. And um, I I think about them often in in light of my own heart. And these letters are pretty brief. I mean, most of them are under a page long. Mm -hmm. Uh, The PDFs, if uh, you just want to go online, all of the letters are available in PDF format also. But yeah, there is whether she's writing to a priest uh, or religious or or a lay person, the advice is pretty much pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, convert your heart. There's a, a section from one letter that she wrote to, I think it was her younger brother James, who was a parish priest, and she's telling him. So this is sister writing to a priest who happens to be her brother. It is absolutely necessary to eliminate three things. Number one, attachment to earthly things, especially the love of pleasure. Two, anything superfluous in your dress and in your personal habits. What you save in this way can be given to the poor. And three, be as little mixed up in the things of the world as you can. So whether, I mean, whether priest, religious, or or a layperson, that's good advice for all of us as great now as it was back in the 1600s. And that was before the internet, Dave. There was a time before the internet. And there was a time, <laughs> which means that, you know, we can get like so easily pulled into the world because it's always present. You know, if it's news, if it's media, if it's entertainment. So um, th- this is such solid advice to even um, create more of a, a heart that is singularly focused on on the Lord. 
and she's pretty pithy. I'm looking at this letter from uh, February of 1684. She wrote it to Elder Miss Chamberlain, who I'm guessing is a layperson, right? Yeah, um, what I got from that letter is maybe she's trying to discern a vocation, but yeah, layperson. It, there's just one line. It, it, they're, they're really pithy pieces of advice, something that you can take with just this one sentence. Words are suspect unless our actions match them. Hmm. So we know thoughts turn into words are followed by actions. That's that's kind of what I took took from there that, yeah, I mean, empty words, right? Mm-hmm. You hear that phrase all the time that uh, if, if all it is is words, then there's no... Right. No conversion. And our love is actually known by our actions, right? Yeah, something that stood out to me in that same letter w- was this idea of um, just humility. And uh, one of the first paragraphs of that letter, she states, he is not content with the crucifixion you inflict upon yourself. And I was like, whoa, that's that's intense. So this idea of, you know, those those moments of, uh, I guess, fasting or the, the ways that we crucify ourselves. Um, there are so many ways in our day-to-day life that he gives us those moments that actually maybe he wants to, us to, to take those on. Like this idea of, okay, someone says a comment to me that I really upsets me. And actually a good crucifixion right there is to choose love instead of a, a quick comment back. Right. Or, um, you know, you overhear someone talking and you are curious. Well, mortify that curiosity, right? That's not your conversation to be a part of. Or, you know, all these ways that are presented in our daily lives that we wouldn't necessarily think of maybe crucifying our flesh um, that he allows us and that she's in her letter. She's calling us forth to really be more converted to the humble heart of Jesus. Well, it's so interesting because one of the lines that really touched my um, heart was it says, God sees me everywhere and knows the recesses of my heart. Mm. So he also, you know, as a good, dear friend of our heart, he's the friend of the heart. He he knows what's going on. But through prayer, we're invited to share, you know, Lord, that really hurt my feelings when I wasn't invited or my child wasn't invited or that person said that to me. Right. Is that giving it all back to the Lord? so that he can um, change us. But he he sees what's going on. Sometimes we forget that, right? Right. We think it's the exterior, but it's really about the interior. Yeah, we can have a tendency sometimes to feel like we can't bring something to the Lord either because we're ashamed of it or something. But, yeah, I mean, he already sees it anyways. <laughs> yeah, he wants us to come to him. <laughs> yeah. Anything less is just playing games, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so now, so, uh, help me on this, Emily. She was instructed to write these letters, right? I, I believe by a spiritual director, write them and send them. She wasn't even supposed to reread them or hold on to a copy or uh, I guess the risk was that she was warned against was um, burning them or destroying the letters. Mm-hmm. So she wrote them and sent them completely for the benefit of the person that she was writing to nothing that she expected to have come from the letters or for her own personal gain. You know, I think it's a really powerful example for um, the importance of encouragement, right? And and even sharing these insights and and how 
letter writing has been so lost in our culture, right? Like we don't think to sit down and to write the recesses of our hearts and the truths that we've learned to our children and to our, to our, you know, to our loved ones. But I'm so grateful that she did because for a person who didn't have much formal education, she has a wealth of spiritual knowledge. Let's look at another letter here. This is to Mother Luis Henrietta de something or other in Mulan. Since he who loves is all-powerful, let us love him, and nothing will seem difficult to us. Some of these uh, phrases and the direction that, that she's putting out there Reminds me also of uh, Introduction to the Devout Life, hmm. uh, the direction that uh, St. Francis de Sales would provide. I mean, some of the, you just, yeah, 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 of course. I highlighted the same thing, Dave. Something so simple, right? But also profound. Love him and nothing will seem difficult to us. I mean, really highlighting there our, our need to love. But then she continues and says, it does not triumph except in humility. One cannot enjoy it except their union with him. And just the idea of that love, yeah, needs to be in humility and it needs to be in union with him. And I think that's a, a good key element of the sacred heart and him revealing his sacred heart to us, right? This, he wants union with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting too is in that letter, it says, our Lord takes care of us and sees to it that in spite of all the storms, we come safely into the harbor of salvation. Mm-hmm. And I loved that line, this imagery of a storm and coming into the harbor and, and saying, you know, um, you know, Lord, just give me the grace to get to that harbor. And, and he is the way. And he, he shares that. Um, he shares that through, through these letters. He continues to share that through the devotion that he is, he is that path. But that's a beautiful reminder. If you're feeling like you're in a storm and your life is hard and that, diagnosis is feeling heavy he, he wants to safely deliver you to the harbor of salvation how, how did you phrase it earlier emily it's a, a devotion for the end times is that how that's, you phrased it that's how um yep saint gertrude the great um uh, revealed in the beginning of letters to um it, it's in the front section it kind of highlights that this is a devotion to end times because that's what uh saint john the apostle and saint gertrude were discussing uh 600 and so many 60 some years ago or whatever 300 and uh this gives you the timeline of the lord right yeah like the lord <laughs> the end times this is but like I mean, we're, all, years we're all in end times but right. i would say we are in a, a pandemic epidemic of coldness of heart mm. and that's why i am so excited about every day getting to um focus on this devotion because it's the change of heart. It doesn't, it's catechesis and change of heart. We, we can't just lead with catechesis, but we have to allow the Lord to, you know, to encounter his heart to then be changed and then um, share that with others. But there's a lot of consolation there with thinking back to St. John the Evangelist resting his head on Jesus's chest, mm-hmm. finding, as this letter says, uh, or a shelter in the, in the storm, that there's a lot of comfort and peace that comes from surrendering ourselves uh, to to the will of God and, and resting next to his heart. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was actually struck by that in one of the letters as well, this idea of surrender. Like really that came through to me and that you know, you think about the chaos of, of our day and everything that can happen and desiring to keep it all together and to control, but really he's asking quite the opposite of us is actually surrender to me and all will be well. It's beautiful, isn't it? Looking at a letter now to Sister Felice. From March of 1688, if you're following along at home, this is letter number 80. Uh, This consolation, this uh, peace, Sister Margaret Mary writes, if I am not mistaken to establish in your heart the reign of his pure love so that you may reign, I fondly hope forever in heaven. This can be attained only by traveling the humble, selfless, lowly way harkens back also to uh, uh, Saint Therese, right? The the small, lowly, humble way. Mm-hmm. Emily, in your opinion, what does that look like? I, in the beginning, we talked about Jesus' revelation to Mary Alacoque, and he said, "Behold, this heart who loves so much and yet is faced with such ingratitude and indifference." And what we're talking about in all of this is. You know, how he desires really us to to be in union with his sacred heart. So what does that look like day to day? You know, that's a good question. I, I think first and foremost, um, cultivating a prayer life so that, you know, the reign of his love and peace in our hearts are, are always present. So I would say, you know, the sacred heart offers spiritual stability. He doesn't want us to be in the highs and lows of, of life, but rather always present, praying always. And yet the devotion has significant forms, such as First Friday. You know, we are invited to go to Mass on First Friday because it's that constant reminder of Good Friday. And, you know, when we go to Mass, we we get to, you know, offer back up our Eucharist in, in the spirit of reparation. So the other key aspect of this devotion is what we get to offer up, like we talked about, our sufferings, our sorrows, our joys, and our daily Eucharist. So we're constantly, um, I, I love to say, you know, like, you know, here I am, Lord, please use me today, right? That that simple prayer of, it, it comes from a lowliness, a, a, a place of humility. Um, and yet it's so powerful when you give your life to Christ and you're willing to be selfless. So as you started, you know, talking about the lady in the kitchen, right? She has an important role in that conference this weekend. And yet the presenter was a very important role. You need to have someone in the front. You need to have someone in the back. You need to have someone just doing that simple task of picking up the trash at the end of the conference or doing promotion. But we're all meant to be you know, unified in working together, but with a spirit of humility. And I think that is um, transformative. It's, it's only when we get on our knees can the Lord begin to change our hearts so that we even know we need to lift our heart up to, to the Lord to allow our hearts to be changed. I think that's a big reason also of why Father Daly proposed the Sacred Heart Congress mm-hmm. to begin with. It's just not to go to an event and consume and, and hear good talks. There has to be a disposition to really receive what, uh, what Christ is offering and, and for us to conform to his heart and to make promises on how we can 
change to become more conformed to his heart. I love to think when I when I go to the Congress and I look out and think each person represents a family, a community, a workplace, right? All the people that we interact with on a daily basis. You know, when we go to an event like the Congress, um, you know, we, we bring all those intentions with us. And one of the things I remember Father Stosh saying is, you know, we can't just live in our own little Catholic world, but we need to come back and 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 really receive that formation, that encouragement. But then as a community, we offer up reparation. As a community, we offer up the greatest form of worship, which is um, celebrating, uh, you know, participating in, in the Holy Mass. So it's it's really neat. We, we, we have such a vision here in Columbus, and I love to tell people, like, obviously it's not perfect, but there's some structures here in place in our community where um, we, we can be we can be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This line from, I mean, 600 years ago, I mean, how pertinent this is to uh, today. Uh, Sister Margaret Mary was writing, I do not see enough abandonment and confidence in you. And, it, and it's just that. I, I think that our good master asks of you the most. Let him guide you. Often recall that a child can never perish in the arms of an omnipotent father. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. The, having that surrender again, having that that confidence that the love of God will surpass any storm right. or anything that we encounter. And if you think about the, the disposition of a child, right, is in need of everything. <laughs> and uh, like that last line, Dave, that you read, that a child can never perish in the arms of an omnipotent father. And so uh, we we really are called to be like children in his arms and recognizing that our needs and everything really does come from him and to allow ourselves to have that sort of abandonment. Well, and it went on to say, you know, abandon yourself blindly, full of faith and confidence to the care of his loving providence. So when we blindly abandon ourselves, mm-hmm. right, we're not actually, okay, I'll do it. This, 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 you know, the game of tallying in our head what this what we think the end should look like but instead we blindly abandon with full faith and faith and confidence that you know God's going to use all things for the good um, for those who love him so what I loved about this devotion too is that it the scriptures line up so beautifully with the letters that you know that this isn't new it's just said in a way that um we can maybe better understand, you know, or compliment the, the scripture to say, oh, yeah, I like that. That that makes sense. That makes me think of um, when our Lord said this in the gospel as well. Coming up on Saturday, November 4th, the 12th Annual Sacred Heart Congress, Reviving the Family Through the Sacred Heart and the Eucharist. This is taking place at St. Paul the Apostle Church in Westerville. You can sign up at Welcome His Heart dot com runs from eight o'clock until just about noon on Saturday, November 4th. And then coming up in late May, early June yes. of 2024, returning love for love. This will be a pilgrimage to the heart of Jesus, Bishop Fernandez and Emily Jaminette. What's this about? Well, you know, as we talked about this Jubilee year, it actually is extended for 15 months um, beginning in December uh, this coming December, December uh, 2023, marking that 350th anniversary. 
but the last um, apparition took place in June. So it will go all the way to June 2025, this opportunity to go deeper into the heart of Jesus. And that's what this pilgrimage is. It's an opportunity to go to um, Lisieux and, and understand St. Teresa's spirituality, uh, Paris, also Saclacor, uh, St. Catherine Labore, uh, an opportunity to also visit many other religious um, influencers of the heart of Jesus, such as St. Francis de Sales, our patron saint of our diocese, the cure of ours, the incorrupt body of St. Bernadette, and um, the amazing gift of St. Margaret Mary, being able to go to the convent, celebrate Mass on the feast day, which uh, this June will be June 7th, and really receive new grace. Hopefully I'll receive a new heart right there in that chapel. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, but we do have availability left. Uh, There's some room on the pilgrimage. We'd love to uh, extend the invitation to anyone that would like to participate. And you can visit uh, welcomeisheart.com to learn more. We can connect you to the travel company and uh, it's through corporate travel. Mm. And Bishop Hernandez has a beautiful devotion to the Sacred Heart. And I know the Visitation Sisters have played a role in his life. And and now he's the bishop of uh, a diocese that's consecrated to uh, St. Francis, or our patron is St. Francis de Sales. So there's a lot of nice connections there, I think, that are providential leading up to this pilgrimage. Well, and if you can't come, please pray for this pilgrimage. Please pray that um, for all those that do uh, end up going and and that are discerning to go. And uh, I just think it's a, a wonderful gift, the bishop that we have. So let's cover him in as many prayers as we can. And what's your encouragement, Emily, to uh, parents that uh, for November 4th for the Sacred Heart Congress? Well, I'll start with an honest truth. You can't give what you don't have. And when you think of the, the tremendous responsibility of being a parent and sharing that love Um, and passing the torch of faith to the next generation, just come, just come and encounter the love of the Lord so that you have um, this, this tremendous gift, like that torch of faith to pass on. And for our grandparents and those who are, you know, the aunts, the pillars of faith in the family, come, come so that you can be the light to share with others. And um, the faith is often caught. It's, it's not always, you know, it's, it's an encounter with the Lord, but I found I couldn't give what I didn't have. And that, that little truth, um, has invited me on this wild ride of going closer to the heart of Jesus. And these Congresses are very accessible, very easy to enter into. It's four hours on a Saturday morning. Great for, uh, you know, middle school teenagers, uh, you know, high schoolers, young adults, um, everyone to come and, Ah, just fall in love with the heart of Jesus. There's confession, adoration, benediction, mass, talks, coffee, donuts, children's programming, super affordable, individual rate, suggested donation, $15. I mean, this is not uh, something that everyone's, everyone's welcome. Beautiful. Bishop Fernandez will be with us here in the cafe tomorrow at about 830. So thanks for being with us today, friends. St. Margaret Mary, pray for us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. God bless you all. See you tomorrow.